0: It's the distant future, and things seem to be in a bad
1: way. The future. The year 2000. We've lost the Western civilization because humanity is living in a degraded biosphere. The entire city is a walled maximum security prison. And it's speciated into old-fashioned style humans, and a newfangled kind of human like... Cyborg. We get the best of both worlds.
0: The fastest reflexes modern technology has to offer onboard computer-assisted memory and a lifetime of on-the-street law enforcement programming.
1: Cyborg and sterile and living in... Just imagine a world where you will hold your entire future in the palm of your hand. You know, a kind of basically terraformed... Cities or regions of the world. This is a land that prays for a hero. Suddenly, somehow, the complete works of Tolkien reemerged. You got a lot of nerve showing your face around here. By the way, uh, my name is is Baggins, um, B-A-double-G-I-N-S. Bilbo Baggins, and um, at your service and your families. Someone. Deliberately retrieves it, and the question in the thought experiment was... They erased your identity and implanted a new one. What kind of culture might be built on that? Here is where it shall be decided.
0: Out last time, that the Christian life is simply a process of having your natural self changed into a Christ self. So, welcome back to the Inklands Variety Hour. I'm Chris Pipkin, occasional thinker of grim thoughts about civilization and, and where it's headed. And with me, I have Jonathan Geltner, author of Absolute Music and, and and a couple of upcoming novels, it sounds like as well. But he is also the author of an essay he wrote on Substack called The New Transcendentalism. And, and I'm going to link it to the show notes, but, but it's a fun Tolkienian thought experiment. So Let's set the scene here. It's the distant future, and things seem to be in a bad way. Sketch for me this this sort of grim idea of what the future could look like.
1: Okay, so so this is a this is a thought experiment, which means it's a reductio ad absurdum. It's not what I think will actually happen. I'm exaggerating right. certain trends. I'm actually not pessimistic at all about the future, but I do think there are tremendously grave perils that are already manifesting in the world. And so, you know, this is just like a grim, a grim version of how, how things could go. And there's basically two two parts to this premise. One is ecological collapse. And the other is a kind of technological transformation of human the human species. So the idea is we've lost Western civilization or really any civilization as we know it because humanity is living in a degraded biosphere and it's basically speciated into sort of old-fashioned style humans like you and i are and everyone is still at the moment and a newfangled kind of human who's almost kind of like a cyborg and sterile and living in you know a kind of basically terraformed Cities or regions of the world, and so their their technological uh, life has dissociated them from some of the like basic parameters of existence that still, for most of us, pertain. Although we're all to some extent already living in a in a world that's been profoundly altered by technology. And without commenting on you know a particular position vis a vis any one of these things, some of them are simply, I don't know, things like I mean, gosh, you could trace it all the way back into like mass literacy or something. But I'm thinking much more recent things like birth control, digital communication technology, especially you know screens basically of any form. Uh, so not just communication but entertainment also, and modern medical technology, which is able to uh, prolong life and assure comfort and security of living in in ways that our relatively near ancestors could never have imagined I mean we're already living in a world in which technology has like increasingly is making the stories of our literary traditions harder and harder to understand because we just don't live with the same constraints that the people mm-hmm. who listen to those stories understood without even having to think about it and yeah it's just, I right.
0: always I always start my Renaissance classes with this whole talk about you know infant mortality people knew the stars because there's no artificial light people often wiped out by plagues very little literacy to speak of, but they could remember things in ways that we can't even fathom now uh, but but yeah it's just such a such a different world and the smells too of
1: course but yeah (laughs) the smells and sounds would be so very different yeah um the nature of entertainment which has become so ubiquitous in our lives which was such a precious and much humbler commodity in 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 previous times you know you want to listen to some music well go ahead and make some you know like that's the only way you're gonna hear it so yeah, the the premise of this thing is that there's two kinds of humans: there's sort of old-fashioned humans, people actually living probably even more primitively than than we do now, or eking out an existence in a sort of shattered biosphere, and then there's the privileged, the elite, the technologically totally transformed, who like don't even I don't know bear children anymore. I think I had it, you know, the incubate, very brave new world kind yeah. of stuff. So I wasn't being very original in this this speculation, that, at least not in that part. A lot of sci-fi, dystopian people have gone this kind of direction. And like I say, these are exaggerating things that are already real and manifest. So I'm not really, definitely not original. But the idea is that in this grim future that we've lost lost the Western literary philosophical traditions because, yeah, they might have been actually physically obliterated deliberately or through an accident or however it could come about or a combination of different disasters but also we've lost them because the the human beings of this time cannot relate to these things so they didn't need, they didn't want to preserve them because they came from a world that was gone and when when a world lapses like that and this is the theme of the arthur poem and so much of tolkien's writing when when a world elapses and it's no longer recognizable meaningful to anybody you're not going to try very hard to preserve whatever relics have come down to you from that world. They just don't matter much. They might not matter at all. The fact that we care a great deal about history and, you know, have things like archaeology, I mean, it's a very modern feeling, you know, it's not something most previous periods of Western history would understand to a very great extent, including, the, you know, the medieval period, which would you know, sort of tended to think of everyone before them as oh, just like us, you know,
0: mm-hmm, mm-hmm. To some
1: extent we do the same thing. This, this is why,
0: by the way, this is why the listeners, Arthur is a 14th century looking king in most depictions of him, <laughs> right? Because the medievals were telling stories about him and it, well, of course he wore armor just like right. a modern knight does. Of course, he, a, you know, right. so, so yeah, it's, it's anachronistic partly because they Maybe didn't realize things were different, but but mostly because they
1: didn't care. So you know, didn't that wasn't care. the they, point. Yeah, they um, didn't care to find yeah. out, and they didn't have any of you know. And because they didn't care to find out, they didn't have like archaeology. They weren't digging up like you know Anglo-Saxon tombs or, or Roman fortifications or whatever. You know that's a very modern thing. Thomas Brown in the 17th century, the the the, the 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 essays he wrote about the, the, some of the first archaeological discoveries in England where they. They, they dig up all this stuff from the, the, the Saxon period, and they're like, "What, what in the world is this?" <laughs> they suddenly realize, like, "Oh gosh, maybe, you know, like maybe we're pretty freaking different from people who lived a long time ago." Yeah, I mean, that, that was a modern realization. So anyway, periods yeah. have very different relationships to what we think of as history, and and so these these humans in my thought experiment are are so different from us now that either because they're Far more harshly primitive, or they're far more technologically sort of shielded from the given constraints of the creation. That even if they did possess this literary cultural deposit, this heritage, they wouldn't. They wouldn't understand it. They wouldn't care about it because they're because such things as poems, and even I don't know music and, and any kind of artifact really are. In, to a really indescribable extent, conditioned by the the material circumstances in which they arose, um, because they are made to be um, used and enjoyed and pondered by people living in a certain way, in a certain place and time. So that's the world. And in this world, suddenly, it was just long since lost and lost interest in any anything from from the past namely our world and everything that came before us oh and I, and so in in, the, in this world even even if there were still christianity it would be pretty different from what it is now just as the christianity that exists now is extremely different from the the religion in, in its early stages its first stages so but i i did speculate that there would be some version of it it would so there's a little bit like a, a little sort of remaining vocabulary, but the question is, how much do the people who are still trying to hold on to it really understand what it might once have meant? So maybe they've got the stories, but like the, the basic gospel story or something, but maybe they've got the Psalms, maybe they've got the Genesis narratives, and maybe Apocalypse, I don't know, but that's about it, you know, so it's like the essential, <laughs> the greatest hits part of the, the Bible. The, But, you know, but they don't understand the historical context this came from, the institutions that have passed this down have sort of fallen to pieces, you know, and and they've just lost. They're already so disconnected. Uh, Actually, we are already like this. They're so disconnected from the way of life that is recorded in something like the Gospels, let alone the Hebrew Scriptures, that... Who knows how much they they truly understand what what they've got. So anyway, but they they do have something like that, some little heritage like that remaining. Suddenly, somehow, the complete works of Tolkien reemerge. Someone deliberately retrieves it. And the question of the thought experiment was, what kind of culture might... Be built on that. And I don't know if I've explained it too well because if I make it sound too grim, then it's like the answer is like, well, none. They'll just throw it away. You know, that's uh-huh, like an, uh-huh. night, you know, <laughs> like, no, they're like, they've got some it, there's something about it. So for some for whatever reason, they're like intrigued enough to try and figure it out. And that's the beginning of something. What would arise from that? And I guess what what drove the whole thing was my sense that we are living in a moment of profound change and shifting, and that would we someday. Do do we have among us roughly now, so, okay, Tolkien was actually 20th century, but I'm going to say call that in the bigger picture of things now, contemporary. Do we have among us now works which um, will one day be looked upon as the foundational thing before which we've got nothing? And. So, like, will, will will something like Tolkien and actually, as in a post, I go on to move in the, to gesture towards Thoreau as well, a hundred years before Tolkien. But will something like Thoreau's works, Tolkien's works, someday seem to people the way the works of the Hebrew Scriptures or Homer seem to us now in in West, like the beginning of things? This mm-hmm. is we can trace it back that far. Whatever it came from. We don't. there came from something we know, but we we don't really have it anymore. What it what it came from? So that's kind of what I was trying to imagine. Like, are there modern works that will someday be the cornerstone, the foundational thing? And my uh, sort of tentative answer was that if there are such things, that Tolkien's. Sort of collected works or at least like his his most finished and white like the Silmarillion Hobbit Lord of the Rings at least that they would they would meet that they could become that kind of thing and I think that there are actually people now who do relate to Tolkien's work in kind of that way almost as a sort of modern scripture these would generally not be religious readers of Tolkien people who share his religion or other Abrahamic faiths maybe they would be people who who have sort of lost touch with that but for them Tolkien or maybe some other works too but are like ersatz religion and I don't mean to say that in like a a derogatory way because the whole point is that actually I think if if there are people who regard them that way they're kind of on to something they might be anyway yeah. So, so what, what
0: is it about Tolkien's work specifically that, that you think would lend itself to this? That even though, you know, the, the, in this new society, they wouldn't know anything about the context of Tolkien himself or, or or any of that stuff, what makes him so accessible to people, regardless of whether they share his background or not?
1: There were kind of two things, I think, that I wrote about in the post. One is, is uh, what I called like the, the childhood test. Like would, would it, can a kid, not necessarily a young child, but can a child, uh, a not yet mature person get the deepest things out of it. Um, not necessarily be able to then like articulate them back, but, um, could they, could they grasp the deepest, um, most important truths that, that the thing has to tell and, I think for Tolkien, the answer is yes. I think that obviously as you get older and you continue to engage with his work, you can enrich your understanding of it in a variety of ways. But actually, I think not yet totally mature adult can basically get the most important things out of Tolkien's work. And I don't know very many other things in the literary philosophical artistic whatever traditions of which i think i could say that including some of the very greatest things that people often want to advance as like contenders for you know civilization founding document you know something like for example the divine comedy
0: mm-hmm.
1: yeah i mean great as that is it, it it takes like a scholarly apparatus to to really get what's completely going on there because we just fundamentally don't live in that cosmos anymore. Like we just can't even we have to like uneducate ourselves to some degree in order to get inside the the idea of that home. It just feels like it comes from a a very far away world. Tolkien stuff, weirdly enough, feels very close at hand. Like it's this is the other thing. So like yeah, the kid a, a kid can get it. And also, it, it's like somehow self-contained, and at the same time, it's the familiar world. Like, and and, may, and maybe my reading of, of Tolkien is, is bizarre in this respect. I'm a very, like, kind of out, outdoorsy person and I've always associated what I think of as fantasy with the outdoors and sort of sensitivity to place and environment. Maybe just because I grew up spending so much time outside including the time i spent reading tolkien (laughs) like i often read that outside or something but like or just the games of fantasy i would play were basically almost always outdoor games if the weather permitted and and like so anyway something about tolkien's work to me feels very like It's always felt this way. It's it's just so clearly the earth. It's so full of the earth. And so we got got into this in the last episode, talking about his poem, The Fall of Arthur, that is just replete with the elements of the creation. I mean, it's just, it's incredible. And all the different ways he makes use of that imagery. And that's true throughout all of his writing. In some places, it's more blatant and extensive than in others but it's really it pervades the whole corpus of work because Tolkien had a profound sensibility for the natural world I mean one of the one of his great stories not not part of the legendarium so I don't know if this would be included in my thought experiment or not but <laughs> it's his wonderful metaphysical parable leaf by niggle mm-hmm. which is about the sky painting a tree or he wants to paint a tree and I mean so, like things like trees were just and the sun and the moon and the sea the waves the wind the mountains i mean the, the the forests for sure are so essential to all of his writing in a way that i think maybe exceeds that of for anyone else that it it, it just as long as there are such things on the earth which as long as it's recognizably the earth is going to make his work speak to people trying to live one way or another on this planet and that's just—I mean—I don't know that that gets talked about, maybe as much as I would like. People, do, yeah. that, of course. But but I think it's yeah, it's it's a, for me, it's a tremendously important part of his work, and it's what suggests to me that it could have that kind of foundational power. And and yeah, you want to look at something else that is kind of like that—the Bible, man. It, It's—I it's, mean, people. So Wendell Berry, the agrarian writer, who thanks be to God is still among us. He's quite elderly now. He he has a passage somewhere where he remarks in an essay, this is from probably 30 or 40 years ago, how he wishes people were more aware of how hypethral the Bible is. Hypethral means open to the sky. You know, it's a kind of like temple building that has like an inner courtyard that's open, roofless, or a temple that just doesn't have a roof at all, like a shrine. And he actually gets that word, Barry does, from Thoreau. Wrote talking about wanting to write a hypethral book and i when i first read that line by wendell Berry about how hypethral the bible was i must have been maybe 23 and i was no kind of christian at least i didn't know if i was and you know i hadn't been raised with the religion but i had read the bible and sort of mystified by it always i never had any kind of I always thought that everything everyone had told me about the Bible didn't ring true. That what the Bible actually felt like to me was like a giant fantasy novel. Um, So, anyone, the Mormons I argued with in high school, the evangelicals who tried to convert me, at my first job working at the kroger company in cincinnati like (laughs) no nothing anyone had ever said to me about any kind of sacred scripture the the bible in particular ever seemed quite right it always felt dry and abstract and i was like but that's not how the bible feels to me reading it feels to me like like tolkien and yeah uh, and, and and when i read that line by wendell bear i was like God, he's completely right. It, that is exactly what this book is. It's it's so immersed in the creation that it's really all about. And you get that, obviously, right from the very beginning and then at the very end, you know, all the way through. So it's another, you know, if I'm thinking like, what could become like the Bible for some far distant future? Some kind of like Gene Wolfe yeah. scenario, like eons in the future where th- this thing, the Bible the, is lost to them or mostly lost but you know they but they have tolkien i was like well that that would work that could potentially work as like a a a substitute i mean is it actually there's some parody there i'm not trying to make a huge theological claim and say oh tolkien was directly inspired by the holy spirit and we should add this to the canon of scripture Uh uh yeah he's
0: not joseph smith right
1: no right (laughs) Uh, he didn't intend to be i'm not trying to make him that but just (laughs) From a purely literary point of view, right? Uh, there's, there's something of that stature and that feeling in his work that, you know, yeah. if you're doing running a thought experiment about the the, the decline and, and rise and decline of civilizations, then I don't know, it's, it seemed like a contender. And listeners, I I mean, what do you uh, say? Yeah. I, I don't know, listeners. That's...
0: I'm I'm not Mormon, so I was, I was joking about Joseph Smith, but uh, <laughs> yeah, I, so just question along those lines what do you think if if suddenly out of the blue we have this relic of you know like like the way the way king josiah you know rediscovered deuteronomy or whatever right and uh and suddenly they're like oh shoot we're in trouble if if we if we were to rediscover tolkien's works and and we and we've lost like pretty much all of the trappings you know whether whether the bible whether the greek stuff or whatever else but we yeah, have all that philosophy we have stuff. we have tolkien what aspects of western culture would be rediscovered through tolkien and what elements do you think would be lost even though we have tolkien who reflects western sensibility to a degree
1: yeah so i mean i think the The basic story of Lord of the Rings, the way that Sauron is only defeated by failure, not by triumph, not by heroic triumph, that is the most successful, most poignant, and vivid retelling of the gospel that i I could imagine ever being written hmm. so i think that even if you i mean i guess i guess it would be more perfect perfectly mirroring that if like frodo died and like he fell into the the pit and in like it if it be, if it was narnia
0: right right then it would <laughs> <Yeah>. be no. <Narnia.
1: laughs> but but like still it's just that basic idea is so revolutionary i'm not really aware of it being elsewhere before and it just seems kind of essential I mean there, there are there are some parallels with other cosmologies Hindu and Buddhist cosmologies that kind of work on a notion of like I don't know the universe kind of having to like entropy and collapse completely before being reborn there's there's a there's there are parallels there but because it's personalized in that western it's i don't want to actually claim christianity for western i mean it's influenced the west but i think we we would retain that i mean or at least to a great extent like that's that's kind of kind of amazing Like now that frodo couldn't become exactly a christ figure because like i say he doesn't he doesn't Die and come back. He has to leave the world and not come back, precisely because right. of the the burden he's borne.
0: Would we would we get the Silmarillion too, or just the stuff? Tolkien yeah, I want to say gone? we would, and so because if, of, that opens up theology yeah. like crazy, right?
1: Well, so that's the other. That's like the yeah, the the Old Testament of the <laughs> the Tolkien canon. Yeah, I think we do get it, and in, in the yeah, the, the form we have it, and. Uh, if we've got the Silmarillion, then we've got two at least really important narratives. One is the creation thing that the, the, the Lindelay is just gorgeous and incredibly compelling. Mm-hmm. And then what? What's Valaquenta comes next, and so so the then the further sort of shaping of the earth and the mixing of the Maiar and the Valar with the elements and things like that. That is an incredibly powerful creation story far more elaborated than it is in the Hebrew Bible. And so with that you can you could get a lot of metaphysics out of the way Tolkien does the Aynelindele and people have written great stuff about this. Um
0: so does does well, Elvish become the new Latin in this in this scenario <laughs> or, or, or does English or or like, can we even read it if we if the language has changed too much to you know can, can we get the same sort of benefit from tolkien if it's translated into whatever people are speaking in the 27th century or or whenever
1: well i mean we don't get what would you, what would you actually get in terms of of language how much could you reconstruct it
0: i mean i, I guess obviously people would say now that we not really getting Homer for reading it in translation or not really getting yeah. the Hebrew Bible for reading in translation or or you know not getting the full experience. So I guess it's kind of
1: well no I mean like no I'm, I'm I'm assuming in the thought experiment I'm assuming that that they've still got they can read English somehow or other. But like how much Elvish can you actually learn only from those like the published originally published stuff? Well and, and right. including the Merlin and you you can you could get a little bit, but it'd be like trying to learn Etruscan or something, I think. Yeah. yeah, I don't know about the language stuff. And that's actually a hugely important point, but the I don't I don't know if the thought experiment can really accommodate it, unfortunately. <laughs> but I was gonna say the Sumerian also has these stories of pride and downfall, which mm-hmm. are super important to have because actually you don't so much get that in the Lord of the Rings or the Hobbit, like you, you get a little bit of greed and you get a little bit of like, what would you even call like, like Boromir and, and that kind of thing. I mean, it's not so much pride as like feel. like, like prudence, yeah. failure of prudence, you know, like, you know, right. Boromir kind of is just being prudent and that actually turns out to not be prudent, but. Yeah.
0: Let's um, say, you know, ends justifies means sort of. Yeah. Um, yeah
1: you don't get you don't get full-blown tragedy right in the Lord of the Rings but you do in the Silmarillion yeah yeah you get you get hubris there and and a kind of like just out of control covetousness and so I think if you had the Silmarillion then yeah you, you've kind of got all like you've got you've got creation story tragedy story and then the subversion of tragedy which is the the kind of version of the gospel story where, yeah. where failure becomes actually success.
0: Yeah. Do you think people would need to believe that these things actually happened in order for it to be yeah, you know, in order for it to be impactful in in the same way?
1: I, I think so. Because I I mean, we don't really like to talk about this anymore because it's embarrassing. But the vast majority of our ancestors, no matter how smart and philosophical they were, took all the stuff to be literally true.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, the, the they the built
1: they built more stuff, amazing, yeah, they built amazing stuff on top of that mm-hmm. incredible hermeneutics developed. But none of that would have happened if they hadn't thought that actually this really did happen more or less the way it's it's written and like i mean to this day the 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 jewish calendar counts its years from from the the creation of the world Uh uh-huh we're not into the seventh millennium yet so yeah yeah Yeah. i mean uh (laughs) that they would they would have to they would have to think something like that i think that we have maybe a bit of a fanciful notion now that like myth as we understand it to be just myth is enough to to float a culture on and i don't think that's true the people mm-hmm. who actually believe the myths actually believe the myths right and they they don't they're not like oh let's just tell these stories. i mean this is, this is like socrates yeah. whole point you know it's like you guys don't believe any of this anymore it doesn't make yeah. sense you don't believe it why are we still talking about it right so that once you get to that point where the culture is like oh of course we don't really believe it but you know isn't it so interesting it's our culture it's our heritage no you're done at that point you're done so <laughs> that's a lot of the actual actually the issue i have with a lot of like reenchantment talk that 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 you get these days like you it would be great to live in dante's cosmos In the medieval cosmos, but we can't possibly do that because we just Mm -hmm. can't literally believe that the universe is these concentric spheres whirling around, right? And beyond that is a like spaceless space that God inhabits. Like that doesn't make sense to us anymore. We can't. You can't unlearn things that you've learned to be true about the physical cosmos, and so yeah, I I, you, you do have to literally. You have to actually believe it. And and I get, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't want to wade into like theological debates too much. But one thing that does kind of irk me is Christians who will, and maybe this is like my, I don't know, my Jewish loyalties coming out here to some extent. But like Christians who are like, oh yeah, of course I believe in a historical Christ. But all that Old Testament stuff is hogwash. Clearly, it's just myth. And everyone always hmm. thought so. Well, no, they didn't always think so. And including all the earlier Christians and certainly yeah. not Jews. And so, you know, you, you can't you can't like pick and choose and say like, yeah, that's I'm going to have that be real. And then the rest of the stuff be some kind of like extra powerful literature that I can yeah yeah build something on. So, yeah, you would have to believe it now. Like how how. How weird is that given that tolkien actually like so i guess actually this is something about Tolkien that i've never fully understood and, and maybe never will but what did he think he was doing so i don't this is <laughs> me sound like i'm some kind of fundamentalist and you know like i because i actually do in my own personal belief apply grades of belief you know, mm-hmm. like like you know i obviously there's like internal contradictions within the four evangelists, but like, I do believe most definitely Mm -hmm. in in historical Christ. What about when you get to something like, I don't know, the parting of the Red Sea? Well, (laughs) like, yeah, I don't know. I, 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 what I think about those older, more mythical seeming stories is something like that. that There's gotta be some historical truth behind it. Mm -hmm. It Can't Mm -hmm. just be, no, someone didn't just sit down and think, I'm just going to come up with the craziest (laughs) thing you've ever heard. And I'm going to start a religion out of this. There's your, your Joseph Smith. (laughs) Right. Right. um, No, sorry. No offense to, to um, uh, all uh, all Mormons
0: who are listening, please continue to listen.
1: That's not, that's not what I, nothing to see here. Nothing to see here. No, but like I, there, there's, there, there does have to be some kind of historical basis for those stories. If, if one is going to, take them as holy writ um yeah, yeah. I, I don't I just, um, but yeah um
0: i've been reading a really good book lately called the lost world of genesis one which is fascinating this is a little bit off off topic but it's it's basically it's basically taking the creation account and saying hey look the hebrews they were not in, being near eastern they were not interested in material origins the way that we are they're interested in how things work and they're interested in function. And so when God created those words for create in the Hebrew, if you look at them in other places, they mean something like arranged or or caused or whatever. So the seven yeah, day creation true. was the process of God setting up the cosmos as his temple, but it's still a near Eastern cosmos, right? But uh, yeah, super, super cool. Anyway, I just wanted to bring that up because it's it's really interesting. But, uh, but yeah, I, I mean... I think when you get to weird literary types like us, yeah, like we don't care if it's if it actually happened in you know in real life or or in in some like material way or whatever, but most people have no patience for reading anything that is fiction, right they they're they're like, no, I want to read stuff that's you know that that mm-hmm. I actually know is absolutely true, and that helps me. Either know more about the world as it exists right now, or that, you know, don't tell me much of stories. I'm not a kid. I want to, you know, know how to improve my life or know something about the world in which I live. And that for most, I think for most people, and I don't think we're that unique in this, for most people throughout history, that's been the primary type of reading that people want to do. So, so yeah, I think, I think you're, you're probably right. They would need to. Take talking literally
1: yeah um, i think i think the the majority opinion in like intellectual circles the higher echelons of society going back as far as we have writing is that the poets are are a bunch of liars you know they they don't (laughs) they wouldn't wouldn't have people defending them for hundreds and thousands of years if they weren't constantly being called liars and useless and and yeah and I mean largely justified criticisms yeah. of i mean that <laughs> not maybe the the lying part, but like the reputation for causing trouble uh, maybe causing morals to be called into question or flouted and and things like that.
0: But I think what, one of the things that you, that you brought up, like what Tolkien thought he was doing exactly, I think is, is, is worth exploring here yeah. too, because I think he really wanted it to, I mean, may, maybe this is just purely his sort of style. And obviously like he, he creates this whole like metafictional thing, right. Where he's like, well, actually the editor of the red book of West March wrote this and you know, an older, you know, manuscript says, I don't, I don't remember exact yeah, there's examples, a whole exact
1: examples. Yeah, uh, he loved yeah, doing started,
0: that and it's super yeah. fun, but I also want, like, I wonder if he thought he was somehow getting at something, right? Yeah. I mean, you can't write leaf by niggle and not think you're getting at some primary, you yeah. know, truth with, with your life's work, right? About, about like, even if he didn't channel it perfectly, right? He's channeling something that when he gets to heaven will be, he will see, He'll see exactly it. Yeah. what it was yeah. in its full glory and, and it will I be mean, true.
1: So it starts, I mean, part, part of the problem is that, you know, I think he had a changing conception of what he was doing as he worked on this for over half a century, beginning with the stuff that would go into the Silmarillion. and then you know he he was still pecking away at things looking for his lost copy of the fall of Arthur <laughs> in like his last years you know I don't know so there's maybe there's maybe more um variation in his own conception of it than than you could accommodate in a single theory of sort of the ontology of his fiction or something but what I'm saying is, we, we we can't have unrealistic expectations that he will be consistent throughout his work. Mm-hmm. Uh, just as the Bible contains like multiple genres from hundreds and hundreds of years apart, you know the the work of one man who lives a long time and works piecemeal at something over an eventful life is it's almost going to feel like it's more than one person's work. It does seem like he found the history to be insufficiently deep. That he had at his disposal. I mean, he's a professional he's an academic. He knows the history. Mm-hmm. It's his job to know the history of his own language, going back as far as we can trace it. And 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 the actual social history around that. And it's like not enough for him. It's not enough. He needs it to be a lot deeper than that. Mm-hmm. And so he feel and, and he feels justified. He's, a, he's an academic. He's a modern intellectual. He knows this stuff is not true. And yet he also thinks there's a legitimate need to supply a body of lore, which is is like missing. And that's kind of how the the bulk of the, the legendarium takes shape and, and, and takes on its sense of, what does he call it, non-fairy stories, like consistency, is because he's he's pretending to himself that this actually is 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 earth you know and that you know everyone's like oh it's not europe he didn't like allegory you can't say gondor's italy or whatever it's like well but i don't know look at a map man i mean (laughs) it pretty much is (laughs) like yeah it's Byzantium or something you know like yeah yeah, yeah. mordor looks a lot like anatolia like Hmm. just, just look at the map you know it's not it's not hard to see so yeah like it's it's the real world you know he's really he's really working with the real world and and he's got all kinds of literary precedent for that so that's fine but but it's also confusing because it's like well what what are what are you doing what are you doing exactly you know you like you you know it's not true we know that you know that we know it's not true but this fiction is is working like it's true and unlike realist fiction so-called which is very upfront about this is the real world and we we all know it's, we're just going to pretend it's actual. And that's what fiction is in this kind of fiction. You're advancing it as this isn't pretend. It's like, it's like pretend, pretend. It's like, this is actually, there's some deeper truth here, just like you said, that he's disclosing somehow that's how it seems to have started out now. To what extent he was able to, keep that up i don't exactly know it it seems like he did to to a degree though because the lord of the rings sort of points you towards the sense of like well that world is gone the earth is never going to be like that again and you know here's hope you enjoyed this picture what it maybe was like once yeah yeah. (laughs) it's very elegiac yeah that pervades it all
0: well that's that's another thing I, I I wanted to talk about and and that's that's really interesting to me and and maybe this is this is worth kind of yeah ruminating on as we as we sort of end our time. but but Tolkien, you know, as, as we've been saying, is so interested in the ending of things and of the passing away of good things, right. And yet I think as you as you really rightly note, a lot of those things are preserved in Tolkien's stories, right? The very the very things that he's lamenting passing away and that he's that he's basically saying like Well can't hold on to stuff you know even if you win the war life yeah. goes on and eventually you lose and you have to go off to Valinor because your wound won't heal and you'll probably die there right but and yet his recognition that we can't keep these things right seems to me to be at least part of the reason why his work does keep so much that is good so many of the things that matter or are eternal like the, the 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 same way that the medieval's favorite book besides the Bible was the consolation of the of philosophy which which basically said hey life's a tragedy hold on to eternal things because nothing good that you try to hold on to in this life is gonna is gonna last and yet, they preserved so so much, you yeah. know, of 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 I guess those ultimate things. But uh,
1: well, I mean, that's there's several good points there. I mean, for one, well, I'll build up to maybe the most important one. The uh, one of the oldest ideas of the value of literature, one of the oldest conceptions of the role of the bard, the poet, is the the memorializer, the one who remembers. You know, the the the, the sacred task of the singer is to preserve the stories of the tribe the records of the ancestors because they're gone and that that's how that's how you have them if you have them at all and with Tolkien it's weird because it's like ah, it's a shame we can never have again this thing that I just invented (laughs) that you have nowhere else besides (laughs) my writing the elves
0: that I just made up Right. Passed, those ancient, ancient, ancient things
1: that I thought of ten years ago, that,
0: but it but it actually is sad. Like it's really sad for the elves. Yeah, you know he makes it so real.
1: Well, um, because he doesn't he doesn't completely invent them. He yeah. he actually draws so much from from his knowledge as a professional scholar of germanic and to yeah. some i'll take i also
0: i don't feel anything about those other elves that he's drawing on for the most part anyway right, uh, right. occasionally yeah, you know, and, and reading medieval stuff i'm not like oh this isn't this is a culture that's waned and has passed away or whatever else they're like and the elves had Things like normal kings do except they were even bigger and cooler and more expensive you know there's more sparkles right right uh,
1: they were like human smiths but better yeah just yeah way uh, better
0: but Tolkien like you're saying incorporates this elegiac aspect to it all and yeah it makes no, it no, that's a good point
1: it, it's because you know I mean the, okay so I have this theory about that and I, this is maybe just complete hogwash but the people that we have those medieval stories from were the christian authors of the christian civilization that had only very recently displaced the cultures or absorbed the cultures from which those elves the stories of those elves come and so They're they're sort of like, all right, we won and we can still enjoy some of this cool pagan stuff. How great is that? Man, is God good. Let's write some crazy stories. This is going to be fun. (laughs) You go forward like 800 years to Tolkien Mm -hmm. and he's like, well, man, those, those people who first thought of the elves have been dead for a heck of a long time. Like we don't we don't think about that anymore. And 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 they've been dead for only a little longer than those those first Christians who wrote about these things. So so even though Tolkien's a Christian writing about all this stuff, he's a later day Christian. And uh, to bring the phrase of Mormonism. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say like, <laughs> like a latter-day thing. Like a, a, a kind of latter-day thing. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I think if a modern person looks back on that. That even if it's a person of very devout, sincere Christian commitment, as Tolkien was, if they look back on those cultures that imagined that enchanted earth, it feels not like a vanquished foe that needed to be vanquished and then made peace with and and absorbed and and melded with. It feels like something that's been lost. that, Mm. That was a long time ago.
0: Yeah, that's a good point.
1: And I think I think that's the that's where the difference is coming from. So when we read those medieval that medieval literature that that you and I have read, we, we think oh this is kind of fun this is cool you know like is, weren't didn't people write crazy back then? It's fine, but we don't get this sense of people who are writing something down in a hurry <laughs> because they're afraid it's going to go away forever. They're writing it down because they won, and they can entertain themselves with it. And that that thank God, and that's why we have it. But mm-hmm. they were not they didn't write things down thinking, well, we just destroyed that better preserve it before it's lost forever. They didn't. That wasn't their their idea at all, and but it would it is that would be closer to the idea of someone like Tolkien like that is gone. Mm-hmm. That's broken. It's it's it can't be believed in anymore. We can't see the hobbits anymore, you know, like they're. Mm-hmm. We don't have the eyes for it, so. I have to write a story that'll let people at least imagine what it would be like to be able to see those kinds of things. So yeah. And it, and it is a sad, it is a sad thing. There is a very elegiac sense to his whole writing, but there is also is the other thing I wanted to say that you already alluded to. He's so eschatological. So Tolkien, I mean, he's on record saying in like his letters and stuff, Oh, my life has been dark. It's full of frustrations. And by all accounts it was like, you know, I don't. I think he had a good disposition, and I think he was a basically good man, but he saw some horrible stuff in the war. And, you know, just look at stuff like what we were talking about in the last episode, the fall of Arthur, that he abandoned that project. And then by the time he wanted to take it up again, maybe 20 years later, he couldn't even find his, his manuscript. And, you know, he he left a lot of stuff undone that he really wanted to do not for lack of trying there's only so much you can do in a life and he had a good long life but you know it wasn't you know like anyone anyone with real vision anyway he he left most of what he wanted to do unaccomplished or insufficiently well done and for him as he states in lots of ways in different times the consolation for that is is religious it's eschatological you know he he does have a sensibility and attunement to the passing away of things, the world that is always passing away, but he also has a sense of fruition beyond the normal boundaries of time and space and life. So I do think that you get that sense from him, at least in some of the weirder stuff, like the letters or like leaf by Niggle*. some of the more marginal or like less official type stuff maybe more than in the legendarium itself which Mm -hmm. kind of feels like closed off and ended you know after it's like well that's like we've just been saying that's it it's over it's pointing now towards the world where that's lost but in he himself as a man and if people had access to these other things he wrote then they maybe would get more of a sense of his religious conviction which if it could be understood would be Maybe some consolation, you know, this the sense that yeah, in this life, nothing everything is going to be imperfect, but but that's just because perfection is reserved for a different, a different universe, basically. Yeah, yeah.
0: Unless you're an elf, right? In, in which case, who knows? If you <laughs> Unless get, you're not, you right? you're,
1: you're reincarnated, yeah. or or yeah. that's it.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, that's a great that's a great note to end on. Well, Jonathan Geltner, thank you so much for for joining us for these for these two episodes it has been a blast as always thank you and and, and listeners pick up jonathan's book absolute music and we'll keep you informed and in abreast breast of later books uh, as well hopefully we can have him back on the show to talk about those when when they come out and and jonathan where can people follow you and, and read the stuff you're writing including the essay we've been talking about today
1: the, the Substack has not been as active as I always intended for it to be, but uh, I have said this before, but I do think that'll change soon. I'm gonna, actually going to have a, a follow-up post to the one that occasioned this conversation pretty soon. So just my name, Jonathan jonathangeltner.substack.com is probably the best uh, place to get in touch. You can always send me messages and notes and stuff there, as well as commenting on the the essays
0: sounds great yeah and we'll link to that on the on the show notes and you also do you also still blog on the slant oh, yeah i uh, should uh, i should uh,
1: mention <laughs> my publisher right yeah yeah please do slant books is, is a great outfit and every month I, I have a post there their close reading blog is what it's called close reading so you can get that at slant books get to that at slantbooks.org i think all right be well, on there.
0: Well, great. Well, thank you again. And listeners, thank you for joining us. We'll, we'll see you next time.
1: All this encounter full of joy unscheduled on the decent plan. With here, an addict to Tolkien. There, a Charles Williams fan. There is no more unhappiness. Affirmative. We no longer say yes. Instead, we say affirmative. Yes, affer- uh, affirmative. Unless we know the, uh, the robot really well. There is no more unethical treatment of the elephants. Well, there's no more elephants, so... Uh, but still, it's good. There's only one kind of dance, the robot. Oh, and the robo. Oh, and the rope. Two kinds of dances. But there are no more humans. Finally, robotic
0: beings rule the world.